Hello, Cachimbonas. I'm so excited to bring you episode five of season four of Radio Cachimbona, which is an abolitionist podcast that is an audio archive of the fierce resistance happening in these southern Arizona borderlands and the place where you can get all of the leftist law and politics that you need to keep up with. So you all have likely been following the quote-unquote audit that Maricopa County in Arizona is going through of a hand count of the 2020 November presidential election that, as you recall, was a conspiracy theory that largely fueled the January 6th insurrection where armed far-right QAnon white supremacist individuals attempted to siege the Capitol take over the Capitol. A lot of this, that leadership came from Arizona. There are Arizona House representatives that are still in office and in power who have not been held accountable for their actions and actually like are continuing this narrative. And so the uh, the official (laughs) count has ended, but you know, as far as these sentiments, this distrust in our voting system, I think unfortunately are going to persist unless we actually shine a light on what is truly happening here in Arizona. And so this is why I was really honored to bring on Pima County recorder Gabriela Casares Kelly about Arizona's, the larger GOP's efforts to undermine the right to vote. And she breaks down the systematic efforts of the Arizona GOP during this last legislative session to undermine the right to vote after the historic turnout during the 2020 election. She clarifies the effect of SB 1485 on people who vote by mail in Arizona, which turns out to be a small inconvenience that Gasseras Kelly and others advocated for because the far right definitely came with a serious agenda of, as I said, attacking your right to vote. And she also debunks the far-right myth that Arizona's electoral system is fraudulent and untrustworthy. And we talk about the long history of Arizona's vote-by-mail system and just, like I said, debunking with facts. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash Radio Cachimbona and you can get Uh, access to episodes like these earlier and the lit review which is books club style chats with fierce women of color where we talk about important texts Uh, another way to support the podcast that is not monetary which i know it's the economy is terrible and if you can want to still support non-monetarily then you can also leave a rating and review on apple podcasts i just wanted to shout out the two latest reviews that i got that just made my day The first was from What's a Cat Person. They said, it's clear Yvette is a great attorney for her clients when they are in difficult circumstances from listening to this podcast. She can present complex and angering information while somehow sharing a calming and empowering vibe with her listener. I love this podcast. Thank you so much. That was so, so sweet and truly made my day. I also wanted to shout out Davey here who said he had, they 
I don't know why I just gave you a pronoun. I don't even know your pronouns. Um, I've been a support. Apologies. I have been a supporter since Cedebronas, but I haven't gotten around to giving Yvette's new show a much-deserved five-star rating until now. Prompted by the moving, thought-provoking discussion she had with her guests about public interest work, diversity, and unionization in the episode "What Is Your Politic?" I'm about to be a one L at SLS myself. Good luck. <laughs> You're gonna need it. <laughs> and plan on returning to this episode in the future, especially if I find myself working further in the nonprofit legal world. It brought together and expanded on a lot. I've been hearing about this field, and I'm very grateful y'all recorded such a raw and honest conversation on this topic. Thank you for the work you're doing in Arizona and in continuing to broadcast for us. Thank you so much, Davy. Here, those super super sweet. Both those podcast, uh, both those podcast reviews, truly just made my day. And it would make my day if you, listener, also left your rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share why you love and continue to listen to Radio Cachimbona. I think that's it. Um, you can also follow at Radio Cachimbona on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I hope that you all enjoy. This episode. Hello, Cachimbonas. I'm so excited to bring you episode five of season four of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist and critical race theory podcast that follows me, Yvette Borja, as a movement lawyer in Southern Arizona. I'm here to archive the fierce resistance occurring in these Southern Arizona borderlands and keeping you all up to date on all of the leftist lawn politics that you need to keep up with. On this episode, I interview Pima County recorder Gabriela Casares Kelly about recent Arizona GOP efforts to undermine the right to vote. Casares Kelly breaks down the systematic efforts of the Arizona GOP during this legislative session to undermine the right to vote after the historic turnout during the 2020 election. Clarifies the effect of SB 1485 on people who vote by mail in Arizona, and debunks the far-right myth that Arizona's electoral system is fraudulent and untrustworthy. This is a critical episode, as we all know. Maricopa County is. <laughs> engaging in its own shit show right now, still counting the November 2020 election votes by hand, claiming that there was widespread fraud. So I wanted to put this episode out and let you all know what's actually happening here in Arizona. If you like Radio Cachimbona, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Radio Cachimbona. For $5 or $10 a month, you can support me and get access to exclusive episodes, help me transition to doing this full time. You can also continue the conversations on the podcast by following at Radio Cachimbona on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Thanks. Uh, hello, Cachimbonas. Thank you so much to Gabriela, the Pima County recorder, for agreeing to come on today to discuss some of the troubling things that the Arizona GOP is doing to try and suppress the vote. So first, before we get started, hi, Gabriela. Thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm wonderful today. Thank you for having me. Great. So did you want to give some of the background of the voter suppression efforts that we're going to be talking about today? 
Yeah, I think I think it's really helpful for people to know that in a normal legislative session, there are usually around 50 to 60 bills that are dropped and introduced into the legislature that have to do with elections. Last cycle, there was around 80. And this cycle, there was around 125 that were introduced into the legislature um, that overwhelmed every single office that deals with elections throughout the entire state. Some of the bills, mm-hmm. they've whittled them down. Um, so now I think there's, you know, people float out different numbers, you know, in the 30s and the 20s. <clears throat> and realistically, we at this point don't really know um, what other bills are still in play uh, because the thing that is happening um, most recently is that uh, new amendments are being introduced, um, <laughs> which is which is just introducing things that have never been discussed before, um, and we're vote and and legislators are voting on it. Part of what is happening is it's an overwhelming of the system as a whole. So not just recorders' offices, but elections directors anyone who deals with elections suddenly had 125 different bills to not only read and engage with, but also needed to then reach out to legislators and say, hey, we're already doing this, or um, this doesn't make sense, or there's no way we could possibly carry this out because of this practical Mm -hmm. reason. Um, And so there has been a lot of that um, this cycle, and it's been very frustrating and terrifying. And it has absolutely been a tactic to overwhelm the system by introducing so many and keeping so many of those bills in play longer than they should have been. Sometimes like even two bills that contradicted each other would be heard by the same committee on the same day. (laughs) So that was the kind of things, those were the kinds of things that were happening in this or this uh, legislative cycle. Got it. And is this a tactic that is frequently used or is this a new tactic on the part of the Arizona GOP? What we're seeing is that a lot of the bills that are being introduced in Arizona are being introduced in other places as well. And so what it seems to be, it seems to be the recycling of old stuff and also the borrowing um, of, of voter suppression bills from other parts of the country that are just reworded. And so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know the answer to that, Um, but it is, it is uh, something that we're seeing, you know, because of of the far right. Yeah, definitely like an increase in the number of states that are introducing bills such as this. Yes. Can you outline the major problems with the remaining voter suppression bills that are still in play? You mentioned that there's different numbers floating around like in the 20s or the 30s. But regardless of the exact number, what are the major problems with those voter suppression bills that have been introduced? 
Well, some of the bills, and um, it's important for listeners to know that in Pima County, there is a big separation between the recorder's office, which deals with voter registration, early voting, and document recording, and the elections department, which oversees day of voting, which are two very separate things. Mm -hmm. And so the majority of the bills that are in play right now are impacting the elections department um, and really um, are talking about even like the design of ballots and um, envelopes and uh, and how, how they're printed, where they're printed, what they're printed on. Um, we literally had an amendment introduced um, just on Monday that they were trying to vote on the same day, um, um, which was really laying out these very specific guidelines for making ballot kind of what what they're what they're asking for is for them to be made kind of like money using the same paper as a counterfeit anti-counterfeit type of paper with special watermarks and, and different things like that. And so that's a discussion that the elections department who would have to pay for all of that um, would need to take a look at. And that isn't impacting my office, um, which uh, we do not do the printing, you know, that, that goes through the elections department. And with, with requirements like those, with the watermark, are those, bills framed as being about stopping quote-unquote voter fraud, but ultimately just adding cumbersome requirements that's going to make it more difficult for elections to happen? That seems to be, it, it does seem to be a response in this concern about fraudulent votes and voter security um, and things like that. I don't know um, that it provides any meaningful uh, security to the elections process. Um, and, and, but that's not for me to say mm -hmm. that I would really <laughs> encourage people to check in with the elections department. Um, but, but I don't see, um, I personally don't see how that can enhance the security. Um, one of the, one of the ongoing narratives here in Arizona is that, you know, multiple ballots can be submitted from like a single individual person that people can vote more than once and things like that. And that's just absurd. It's, it's mm -hmm. not something that is possible. If a person receives a mail ballot at home and mails it in, and they also go to the day of elections voting and they cast a, a provisional ballot there, they will only still ever count one of those ballots. So one of only one of those ballots is going to make it through because we only allow mm -hmm. each person to vote one time. And so there are very legitimate reasons why people would maybe need additional ballots. Like say, for example, we mailed a ballot to someone and they were displaced. Maybe they um, you know, had to go and live on the other side mm -hmm. of town and they have no transportation to go pick up that ballot. Mm -hmm. That person... Like if they were evicted, for example. Yeah, if they were evicted or... Simply if they forgot to just otherwise forcibly displaced or, you know, or they forgot to, they forgot to change their voter registration, you know, after moving across the, the county or maybe mm -hmm. their dog ate their ballot. 
that person would be able to go to an early voting location or a uh, day of voting location, cast their ballot, uh, you know, it might be a provisional ballot. And then we just, we hold it and, and make sure that that person hasn't voted twice. And once we confirm that, we count their ballot. So <laughs> there there are protections in place that are, are are keeping people from casting multiple ballots. And when it, when people do try, um, they're reported, you know, it's, it, that's also been a narrative that, um, you know, when they intentionally do. Wow. Sometimes um, my nephew ran into this issue um, this last election cycle. I was posting a lot about how to check where your ballot was and whether or not it had been received by the county. And he had mailed his back really early on and it never showed mm-hmm. up. It, it, it wouldn't show up within the system. And he started to get nervous and he reached out and he asked and I said, well, call the office and find out there. And he called and, and they said, it hasn't shown up yet. If you're feeling nervous about it, you can go ahead and cast a provisional ballot, which is what he did. So he ended up having to do both. Um, and so those, those are just very real circumstances that happen, um, you know, all the time. And, you know, I'm confident he is only, he only voted mm-hmm. one time. Um, but it wasn't showing up within the system. And so um, these false narratives that are 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 out there are claiming this uh, lack of integrity, lack of security within our election systems, which are just completely fabricated. They're not true. And there's a lot of confidence within Arizona system. Arizona has been leading the country um, with vote by mail for nearly two decades. Other states, this was their first election that they were ever right. um, conducting a vote mm-hmm. by mail right. election. So. so why is it that so many Arizona voters in particular are so stuck to this narrative, the false narrative that you're pointing to about there being deep structural problems with how votes are counted? I don't actually think it's a large um, number of Arizonans. I think it's a very small and loud group of Arizonans. Mm. Um, I think we have around 80% of our entire state is participating in vote by mail. Right. We have, we, and, and that's, it's not any one party is doing that either. That is, it is equal down mm-hmm. the board, Democrats, independent, Republicans, Green Party. The majority of people are utilizing the vote by mail um, service and are trusting in it. Um, I think it's a very small population of people who are choosing uh, to disregard um, our our advancements in Arizona and our and our buying into this national um, false narrative that <laughs> that our, our elections are lacking in integrity and that's simply not the case. And so I think when even when you're talking about whether or not it's a partisan issue and things like that, in Arizona, there are 15 county recorders. Currently, nine of them are... Mm-hmm. Republicans. There's one independent and the rest are Democrat. And so even Mm. within the Recorders Association and our group, where we're talking about these issues, we're seeing these 
these bills as anti-voter so or or engaging in this false narrative. And so I don't think that that is a real um, issue. I think it's just a loud mm-hmm. issue. Um, and that's been fueled by, you know, people such as uh, the former president and um, others who are, are encouraging that uh, those issues and, the, and then the legislators who are in the far right who are <laughs> claiming fraudulent activity and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, they're just not familiar with the with the process. It's a very transparent process. And um, even things like uh, counting are, are overseen by representatives that the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, both supply observers <laughs> To, to watch over things like that. And so they have to sign off on, on all of that. And, and there is no evidence of any, any wrongdoing. That's why it was so frustrating to see Arizona reps participating in the January 6th coup and want demanding a recount of electoral outcomes for Arizona when Arizona, as you say, has a long history of voting by mail much longer than many of the states that were doing it for the first time, like you said, in the 2020 election. And it just feels like it just kind of, to me, points to this disingenuousness that we've been talking about on the part of the Arizona GOP, because it's having lived in Arizona, they should know that voting by mail is standard here and that it's that it's not tied to any particular party or ideology because you know, 80% of people who vote are doing it by mail and it's it's been very frustrating to see how prominent of a role Arizona representatives are playing in in continuing this narrative of of recount of of the need for a recount because of the fraudulent quote unquote outcomes of the 2020 election. Right. And and that's just been it's really been disheartening and disappointing. There are a lot of elections officials and a lot of elections workers who have just been really disappointed by the lack of leadership, who, ha- who have been allowing for this narrative to continue and to grow and it's snowballing and, it, and it's continuing. And rather than shutting it down and saying, no, this is, there is no concern after the first audit, second audit, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. There, there has been no no backing of the integrity of the the hard work that people from multiple political parties and backgrounds, um, you know, have been, you know, that is, that is really just putting their work down. It has been minimizing all of the hard work that goes into these elections and really continuing this, this terrible narrative, which a lot of people say that it's not disenfranchising, you know, disenfranchising means to, to take away someone's right to vote. Um, but when you, when you're, when you're talking about people not trusting in the narrative, not trusting in our elections, and they don't um, think that their vote is going to count or that it's not going to matter, right. um, or they, they, they're fed these, these, you know, accusations and they buy into it and then they don't participate. Mm -hmm. That's voter disenfranchisement. That is meaning people have been uh, mistaken about their rights. That has larger consequences. And so even if none of these bills passed, 
even if, you know, the 125 that were introduced into the legislature, even if none of them had passed, it still would have planted the seed of doubt and people who are on the fence about whether or not their vote matters or their vote is actually going to count, if that prevents them from participating, it's already done its damage. And I think we're I think we're going to see that in the next coming election cycles. Mm. Yeah, it's just very frustrating thinking about how low our voter turnout is generally and has been historically. And, you know, to see a lot of gains made in the 2020 election was in terms of voter voter turnout was it was it was heartening and it's disappointing to see us going in the opposite direction so quickly after having made some gains in voter turnout absolutely i think that um being able to see the larger number of uh younger voters or um voters in black and brown communities um you know i think we had one of the the highest um I don't like to use the word minority because we're kind of in the majority, but right. uh, for, for like people marginalized color, people, marginalized yeah. people, you know, marginalized community, um, having a higher turnout than we've ever seen. Right. And then to have all of this anti-voter legislation on the heels of those tremendous gains, we can't see that as anything other than intentional. And these, these, this introduction of these anti-voter bills is very intentional. It, I don't want to say that it's only because of this election, only because of um, Joe Biden. We also have to recognize that voter disenfranchisement and the um, anti-voter um, behaviors and, and history and policy and practices, those have been in place for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're they're amping up and they're using policy right now to, to kind of, you know, crush that excitement um, and civic engagement. Yeah, it, it sends a message about which voters are acceptable to turn out the polls and which aren't, which, as you say, is just so, so devastating to marginalized communities who have had issues with access to voting. And it's all deeply troubling for those reasons that you outlined. We've discussed the bills that would have influenced the elections department, which is not in your purview, but some of the bills introduced by the GOP seek to eliminate early voting, which is in your purview as Pima County recorder. Can you break down the impact that that would have on Pima County voters? Well, um, some of the, I don't, I wouldn't say that it, it, it's directly attacking vote by mail. That, that is something that is part of the maliciousness of what's happening right now. It's kind of this destabilizing. It's it's testing the integrity of the vote by mail system. So it's not trying to say like, oh, we're we're eliminating vote by mail as a whole. Though there was there was an early bill that said something mm-hmm. like that, and you know it didn't make it very far within the election cycle. But but a lot of these have been you know like yeah. pulling on, on strings to try to destabilize the vote by mail. And you know as I said about, I think it's you know, 80% of Pima County voters are participating by mail. That is already something that's happening. We have been doing that for nearly two decades. 
20 years of early voting um, here in Arizona. And we're seeing more and more turnout, uh, more and more people utilizing those ballots that are that are sent home. It's the highest return rate we've ever seen. So for people who expect their their ballot by mail to, you know, one election be sitting there wondering where's my ballot? And and for our offices <laughs> to get those phone calls or those emails or the or or people f- trying to desperately find out what's happening after two decades of successful vote by mail, that type of legislation would be would be devastating for our community. And so many people would be unable to participate. We not only is vote by mail helpful in in having people conveniently vote from the the comfort of their own home, but it allows people to spend more time with their ballot, more time understanding each of the races, um, to be able to sit in front of the computer and say, these are the exact names that I need to Google right now uh, to find Mm. out who I want to vote for and to be better informed voters. So that kind of information is very difficult to find online. Right. You can't find sample ballots online <laughs> days before the election. Um, and so this is something that is really crucial uh, for voters. And uh, we absolutely are standing by it. There was an earlier bill that was going to eliminate vote by mail. That has been eliminated. Is there a bill to eliminate early voting? No, not that I'm aware of. The most recent concerning bill, Senate Bill 1485, which we called... That's what I was just about to ask you about. Yeah, we call it the Pevel Purge Bill, um, Pevel standing for the permanent early voter list. And that bill is one that passed. That was one that really, really concerned um, elections officials throughout the state because the language was written so in such a confusing manner and it was open to multiple interpretations for how how this bill um, could have been enacted, um, which would reduce the number of people who are actually on the permanent early voting list. And so elections officials um, really pushed back and and challenged some of the language and and ultimately it was changed so that it is very clear and very specific about who um, will be removed from the early voting list, and it does not remove anyone from the poll. Uh, from the uh, from the poll, the uh, pardon me, the <laughs> the voting rolls. Um, it won't remove anybody from actually being able to vote. They simply won't receive a, a vote by by mail ballot, and so. Uh, because of the pushback, because we were questioning it, we were able to, to change uh, the language on that. Um, but it still isn't a good bill <laughs> because it removes people. It creates one additional right. barrier. Um, so my office, uh, I think I was the only recorder who was um, opposed to it, uh, you know, over several months. <laughs> and even though they changed the language, I, I still disagree with the practice as a whole. Um, but I do admit that it, it, uh, it impacts less people. Mm. So. Can you explain what the permanent early voting list is? So the permanent early voting in other states, it's more understandable. We understand what's happening in other states. In other states, 
If you want to vote by mail, it is up to the voter to contact their office that it some states have recorders and some of them don't, um, but they would re be required to contact their election official and state a reason why they want to vote by mail. Here in Arizona, we have no excuse early voting, which means that anybody can vote early for any reason. And you don't even have to have a reason. You could just choose to vote early, um, which, which is why you see a lot of those really long lines in places like Georgia. They not have a vote by mail system. Mm, okay. um, so here in Arizona, you can sign up to always receive your vote by mail. So your ballot by mail. And you can do that through the voter registration form. It's right there on the form um, on paper. Or you can go to servicearizona.com and you can sign, for, sign up for it online. Um, and then every single uh, election that you're eligible for, you'll automatically receive a vote by mail ballot, which again is different from other states because you then mm -hmm. have to contact the office and then wait for it. And so most people, um, you know, miss the deadlines or they, um, you know, maybe they're sitting on hold too long, so they're not going to do it, um, whatever the situation is it forces more people to show up in person on election day because we have this really robust permanent early voting list. Um, more people are able to just get their ballot mailed to them and it's very simple for them and they love it and appreciate it and have been doing it for 20 years. So the Pebble purge bill that recently passed is called Senate bill 1485. And what it's going to do is it's going to look at, we're going to have to look at data from the 22, 2022, 2023, and 2024 primaries, general, or municipal elections only. So they're not going to take the presidential preference elections or bonds elections. Um, it's just those elections that, that we're going to be taking the the uh, data from. If a voter has voted in only one they only need to do it one time. If they received a mail ballot and returned a mail ballot, then they then nothing happens. They stay on the list. They don't need to know about it. It's fine. Um, but if they never returned a mail ballot in any of those election cycles, um, what will happen is our office will contact them and give them 90 days to respond to us in writing that they want to stay on the list. If they don't, if we don't hear back from them, they'll be removed from the permanent early voting list, but they'll be on the voter rolls. They won't be removed from there. So if they show up to vote at an early voting site, they can just simply cast their ballot there. Or if they show up on election day, they can vote at their, their uh, election day site. So it doesn't... Um, it doesn't remove anybody from permanent, from any... Uh, from being able to not cast their ballot. Right. It just makes it harder for somebody who would want to do it by mail. Right. So, and if they still want to, they can still call our office and request that we send them a mail ballot. Or if they were removed and they want to participate, they can sign up again. So it's, it's again, it's, um, 
it's impacting less voters. But for people who live in rural areas or uh, for independent voters who um, are sometimes confused on which uh, elections they're eligible to vote for, this is something mm. that is a, is a concern because sometimes people only vote in major elections or they only vote in, you know, small elections like like a bond uh, for school or, you know, whatever. And so, you know, there's some, there's some concerns there. And then for people who are in rural areas where it's really difficult to find a voter registration form because there's less public buildings, there's less locations that will have voter Mm -hmm. registration forms or the internet insecurity is really high. So like the, you know, the Thonotham Reservation, which is the size of Connecticut and most people don't know about, which is in Pima County, um, you know, they struggle a lot with internet infrastructure. And so being able to log on and, and get, you know, request all of those um, documents or, or uh, fill out the proper paperwork to receive a new ballot, you know, that is made more difficult um, by by the lack of internet uh, security or lack of um, access to internet or, you know, lack of cell service, being able to make a phone call and connect with our office in that way. So, you know, those are some of the reasons that my office opposed this. But um, as long as you use your mail ballot, you'll continue to receive a mail ballot. um, And you only need to use it once within that time frame. Um, Because there are very real legitimate reasons. Sometimes you just cannot use that that mail ballot. Um, And so what they're trying to discourage is people requesting additional ballots. But like I said, your dog chews it up, you spill your coffee in one, maybe you're evicted and, you know, you don't have access to that um, other uh, previous one, or maybe it's an avalanche of mail and you absolutely cannot find it. Whatever, whatever your situation is, um, you should still be able to, to participate. And so there are legitimate reasons why people um, sometimes don't use those mail ballots, but uh, we want to continue getting them to you. Right. I was watching Z-Way's show on Showtime. Have you have you seen it? What is it called? Z-Way? She's no. an... Oh, she's so funny. And she did an episode recently where she interviewed Julio Torres and she asked him about what it's like living in the U.S. And he said, living in the U.S., it's like every day there's a new form you have to fill out and that you forget about. And every day, the the consequences of not filling out that form just get worse and worse. <laughs> and it was, it was so funny because it was a bit true. And I'm just thinking about the unnecessary bureaucracy that's created by this bill. Like if you don't want to be taken off the permanent early voting list, then you have 90 days to return this form or otherwise you'll be taken off. And it's, is, is have the people who introduced the bill, you know, uh, tried to justify it in some way? Is it justified as being cost efficient, you know, not, not printing unnecessary ballots? Like what, what, what is the justification that people give for this? Uh, they say that part of it is to have security um, which that is no concern there. Our, our elections are already secure. This is, again, this is already a system we've had in place for 20 years. We can cancel um, a ballot. So if you, 
you know, spilled one with coffee and it's just, you're not going to be able to bring it in. We can cancel that within our system and then issue you a new ballot. You, again, only one person um, can cast a ballot per, per voter. So that is not a concern, but these legislators um, allege that it is, uh, allege that people are voting multiple times and they're not. And then the other thing is they, they point to cost. But when we talk about cost and we talk about our most fundamental rights as uh, U.S. citizens, as, um, as voters, um, is that really... Uh, is that really a necessary, um, you know, spending cut? <laughs> I, I don't think so. Well, you're right. Well, if it affects a small number of people, like any kind of budgetary gain would be small as well. Right. And, and in regards to like those ballots that aren't being utilized at home, you know, if they were really concerned about this, they would maybe allocate additional funding so that people understood more about, you know, what early voting is and how to sign up for it and how to use Mm -hmm. that. And, um, you know, they would maybe push for more voter education rather than penalizing people who, you know, are maybe, are, are maybe struggling whether or not, you know, they're going to participate. And so, and it's it's just further infuriating because this isn't really uh, directed at people who are not participating. It's not people who are sitting at home and not voting. This is people yeah. who are just not using their mail ballots. So these are voters. So we're talking about people right. who are voting and, you know, they're just not voting in the way that these far right legislators want them to vote well they're just setting up unrealistic expectations you know it's just there's not like we're not like a series of robot ideal voters that can check all these boxes easily we're human beings and like you said you know uh coffee is spilled things are lost things are forgotten and this is it just these are just additional obstacles to a right that it's unfortunate that this is how the Arizona GOP legislative members are spending their time. Right. They're, instead of capitalizing on this like really amazing turnout and, you know, learning from what happened in the 2020 elections and the turnout that we saw there and these amazing gains in, in communities of color and young folks and all of these demographics that, you know, have historically, um, had low participation to instead of ride that wave of of voter engagement, they're seeking to find ways Mm -hmm. to chip away at the participation and the integrity of that participation. And so it's, it's really concerning. It's very disheartening, but we're going to trudge on and continue to have these conversations and help people get excited about participating. And we're going to keep fighting for for our rights to participate in our democracy. Right. And I think it's super important just to reiterate to the voters of color that if voting really was inconsequential to the power structure, then these powerful politicians wouldn't be trying so hard to take your vote away. And I think it's very telling that after this election cycle that was unprecedented in terms of Latinx and Indigenous voter turnout in the state of Arizona, the Arizona GOP has said, oh, no, 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 we can't have any of that. And it's just important for voters of color to 
see past the facade and realize there's no there's no common sense reason why this is a policy that makes sense taking people off the permanent early voting list thank you so much for for the work that you're doing and for coming onto the podcast to dispel some of these myths because like you said they're they're very loud it might be a small group of people but they're very loud in insisting that there are voting system is fundamentally fraudulent and broken and their claims are persisting and some people are taking them seriously and so I just think I really wanted to get this episode out to get the the correct Arizona perspective of what is happening in our voting system here. If you vote only one time within the 2022, 2023, or 2024 timeframe, and you use your, your vote by mail, then that counts. It only takes one time of using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> so okay. it, what so when do you get when do you get ticked off then? Um, so taken off if you do not use your mail ballot at all within the twenty twenty two twenty twenty four election cycle, then you'll be notified. And if you do not respond in writing, then you then you will be removed from the list. So it's the three those three uh, years of data is is determine who who on that list <laughs> needs to get a notice and then um, after they've received the notice and they haven't responded then they will be removed so but it, all it takes is you voting in one election using your vote by mail either your I'm sorry your mail ballot either dropping it in the mail and using the mail system or literally dropping it off on in person, that also counts. So as long as you use that ballot one time within those three years, the so 2022, 2023, and 2024, in the primary or general election or municipal elections, then you're fine. So I know that's a it's a mouthful, but um, what we want to tell people is use your mail ballot and you'll stay uh, on the <laughs> mail ballot list. And so um, the other last thing that I want to say say about that is um, it the name of the list is going to change. Um, it was previously listed as the permanent early voting list, which is some people say Pevel, some people say Pevel. They're going to change the name and we don't quite know what it'll be yet. But in order to to stay on that list, you don't have to do anything. Your names, if you're already a, a vote by mail person and you're signed up to vote by mail every time, you're, um, you'll already be automatically um, on that same list. So you don't have to do anything except when you get a ballot, vote. <laughs> okay, that's great. And thank you so much for clarifying that. It's you know a little heartening to know that it won't be as easy to disqualify voters off of the early voting list, but uh, it's still just troubling because there shouldn't be any obstruction to the right to vote. Agreed. So thank you. Oh, sorry. We're going to say something. No, just agreed. And, you know, it, and, you know, it doesn't sound as scary at this moment, but I want to make it clear that that is not where this bill started. Mm. This bill started with intentionally confusing language and had actually been introduced two other times into the state legislature and it was rejected because the language was so confusing uh, that, that they 
that they couldn't move forward with the legislation. And so there, it was open to too many interpretations and it went under a number of revisions before it could get to where it actually is and how it was actually signed into law. Um, and again, I don't think that it was um, introduced with the best of intentions. This was absolutely written to try to remove as many people from the permanent early voting list as possible. But because of the feedback that elections officials um, have continued to uh, provide to these lawmakers, we've gotten it to a place where we're like, fine, it's not the greatest, but we can live with this. And so, again, this is going to be where our role um, you know, any of you listening, <laughs> any of you who are doing the work in uh, community engagement are uh, letting people know, like, your your vote is under attack and we need, we need people to vote. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's the work. And that's what we're going to continue doing. Yeah, thank you so much. That is exactly the work. And I'm so grateful to you for taking the time to come on the podcast and discuss this. And also, I appreciate that it's it's about being a Democrat in Arizona oftentimes involves a lot of mitigating terrible bills that are put into place and just kind of trying to make it as le- least shitty as possible and I really appreciate that the Arizona GOP started with a bill that was you know likely as we've seen just with bad intentions and vague and uh, vague, what does that mean? It means that pe- that could be exploited, right, uh, for disenfranchisement. And so I, I really appreciate uh, the difficult work that it is in, of trying to protect voter rights in Arizona. So grateful for all the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me Thank on. you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.